Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. With me, as usual, is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good afternoon, Rob. And hello. Well, we have a great, great podcast today. And you know when it's a rant cast, we get very excited. And uh, even better than a rant cast is having Mark Teeley give the rant cast. And Mark, I'm not sure we've had you give a rant cast nor have I ever seen you with your blood pressure high enough for a, a rant cast. <laughs> so this will be most interesting. Well, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Take your medicine first, Mark. Yes. Well, I, I, I did take my my blood pressure meds this morning, so hopefully I'm in good shape. No, I, um, I'm 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 often um, except in private, uh, like the duck on uh, proverbial water, where everything looks nice and calm on the outside and inside. I'm grinding the gears, so. Um, uh, we'll see if you guys can make me grind the gears today. So, and real quick, Mark, usually we have the guests, you know, quickly let us know who you are. You've been on before, but if you could take about 20 seconds to just, uh, you know, for the new listeners who aren't familiar with yourself to let them know who you are, and then we'll jump into the rant. And I expect excellent anger and things being thrown across the room. Those perfect, are minimum perfect. requirements. All right. All right. So, yeah, I mean, in the 20 second highlight, um, most of my career has been on the infrastructure side. Um, doing everything from building and operating data centers to building and operating large-scale infrastructure for things like global networks and, and um, uh, you know, global environments for email or exchange or Active Directory or cloud infrastructure, virtualized infrastructure. Um, uh, made a name for myself to some degree in both the cloud and the data center space. Uh, founded uh, one one part, uh, part of that through building and getting published published information on data centers that I uh, had a part of. And the other part was uh, creating the organization called Data Center Pulse. Uh, on the cloud side, I've been a part of several uh, cloud software companies, including uh, one of the first uh, multi-cloud platforms that was probably eight years too early. Um, and then most recently working on AppSera's uh, container management platform and um, uh, currently working for Ericsson on edge strategy and edge engineering for edge compute. And, uh, uh, you know, part of what gets me involved in these kinds of things is the fact that I just love the industry and I'm constantly being, um, uh, allowing myself and or pushing myself into organizations where I feel I might be able to help like uh, Cloud Native Compute Foundation, uh, Green Grid, and uh, now as chairman of the um, International Data Center Authority uh, Technical Committee. Whoa, I didn't know about that new one. That's quite fancy title. Congratulations. It is. It's big. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and, and, at, and, and in that capacity, Mark runs a, another podcast, which I listen to uh, regularly, called the IDCA to Infinity and Beyond uh, podcast. And you bring in a lot of very notable speakers on that uh, and have some thoughtful conversations. I like No, it. thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's good fun. And we do have good speakers. And um, one of those great speakers was uh, a famous Mr. Rob Hirschfeld of, uh, of RackN. And um, uh, most recently had Jeff Susna, who is well known in the industry for his DevOps. Uh, recently had uh, Ralph Laura, CIO for Lumentum. Uh, and there's just, you know, so many great names to mention. Jay Farrow, Ryan Fay, um, a lot of great folks. All people not being shared with us, I noticed, but that's okay. Go on. Not a problem. <laughs> we, we, get, we get our share. Yeah, we do. Yep. Just, I'm teasing. Force Mark to distill all that knowledge into 20 minutes. 
That's right. But first, but first, we have, we have a rant cast. So what are so, we ranting so, on uh, today, guys? So, so Mark, I, I think, you know, I, 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 you're, you're an active Twitterer and you, you sort of, you love to, to ping it up a little bit and you've been doing something interesting on LinkedIn that we'll talk about in the back half where you're, you're, you're sort of talking to people about edge. Um, but you've, you've been having these conversations about um, this, this sort of monopolistic monoculture challenge. Uh, you and I had a, a conversation earlier sort of talking about, you know, like environmentally when you monoculture things and they become, you know, you, you plant only corn, you plant only wheat, you, you exhaust the ecosystem of, of diversity, bad things happen. Um, and then you sort of, you know, ran against conventional wisdom in, in drawing that into IT. Do you want to, can you, can you sort of lay out your, your concerns there? Yeah, I mean the the concerns are are kind of multifolded uh, or multifold. I um, you know, first and foremost, just from a traditional way of thinking around uh, monopolistic behavior, whether it's uh, um, you know, uh, you want to look at the the true um, uh, dictionary description of uh, you know the equivalent of oligarchies, or you want to look at uh, just applying the the majority of the rules that would traditionally be associated with a monopolistic situation. I think we run that risk today with some of our bigger vendors. I mean, we've had that risk in the past. We had that risk in the past with IBM and mainframes. We've had that risk in the past with Microsoft. And certainly we had that risk with databases uh, um, from Oracle. Um, and I think today the risk is um, potentially even greater for a number of reasons with um, the centralization of so much capability and um, function and critical traffic on just a small handful of cloud providers, uh, especially in North America. And, you know, the, uh, there are a lot of reasons why that may be risky. Uh, again, from a historical standpoint, there's never been a time when a monopoly has been good for the customer. Uh, and so whether or not you believe three or four providers in the space constitute a monopoly, I would argue that some of, uh, or if many of the same behaviors and risks apply. And, and one of those is that as companies get as large as Microsoft and Google and um, Amazon in the cloud space. There's a natural behavior, which is true in every industry that I've ever paid attention to, of beginning to only focus on those things that move the needle to X. And when you're the size of Google or Microsoft or AWS, uh, moving the needle to X probably means somewhere between 500 to a billion dollars in potential new revenue or opportunity. And so at what point do we begin to not see any innovation or opportunity for um, uh, what would be considered niche environments because, well, the opportunity only appears to be a two or three or four, or even because of the assumption of a split between the two or three providers in the region, um, you know, maybe it's a total of a billion dollar market, but nobody would get more than 500, 500 million of that. So it's not worth investing in. Um, and then from other perspectives of when, or, or, or it might challenge, or it might challenge the way they deliver services, right? Absolutely. We're, we're Absolutely. seeing this right in, in the whole model where it's like, well, if it's not a SaaS, I don't even care anymore. Right. right. And so, right. um, we're, we're, we're effectively crushed on premises, self-managed infrastructure, right? It's conventional wisdom is now that's just dead. Don't do it. Right. Um, right. 
And that's that's Amazon marketing speak more than the actual reality of IT infrastructure, in my opinion. Well, and it, it has been for a long time, right? I mean, we've we've been um, arguing uh, as a community, arguing in a positive sense, argue, arguing and debating um, what is public cloud, what is cloud in general, what's the future of IT infrastructure. And, uh, you know, many of us uh, in the community have always said, though, it's, you know, it should all end up in cloud. It should all be like a um, like a public utility. And and some of the rest of us felt that um, there's always going to be opportunity in the potential permutations of IT and uh, assuming that there's no more opportunity for someone to innovate on premise for one reason or another um, uh, doesn't make any sense to me, right? When you, you know, and I've used this, this quote was used in, in one of Joe Weinman's books, but I look at IT from the perspective of a painter's palette. And if we took a hundred painters and we gave them all exactly the same materials, the exact same lighting, the exact same room to work in, the same time of day, the same food to eat before they painted, and we told all 20 of them to paint a tree, every single one of the paintings would be different. The backgrounds would be different, the shape of the tree would be different, the way the leaves looked, whether there was more sun or less sun, or, or different colors in the sky, or different flowers on the grass, or whether there was grass at all, every one of those would be different. And if there's ever been an environment where that's true, it's in the technology space. And to make the assumption that at a time when coding, um, the ability to leverage tools that could help with delivering better applications, like even if you are renting AI capacity or analytics capacity, the fact that there are tools that will eventually allow a marketer to define key new operational capabilities for an application in marketing on their own with little or no direct coding help from a traditional programmer, uh, the idea that you could actually leverage existing infrastructure in more than one way on a continuous basis uh, uh, in your own environment so that you can get more money out of it and, in fact, leverage infrastructure more like it's uh, a compute or cloud compute platform from a time of day versus um, how much CPU utilization you're getting versus what work it did between 8 and 12 in the morning and what work it does between 8 and 12 at night, et cetera, et cetera. That kind of flexibility to me is something that for the right customer, and this is not going to be true for every customer, but for the right customer, offers them flexibility in this space, especially, um, you know, we are, you, you mentioned the, the edge uh, discussion in the past or just a few seconds ago, especially when you, could th when you think about the potential number of new um, application demands hitting because of the edge environment, right? So I, wait, I, I'm going to stop you on edge for a second, and, yep. and I want I'm, we're going to rewind for a minute because there, okay. there's a there's a rat there's a rant part of this that I want to get to, and yep. I also want to want to give people homework because when you were first on the show, you and I talked about Jevin, Jevin's paradox, yep, which yep. is an efficiency paradox of if you make something cheaper, people consume more, and and I, I don't want us to re rehash that, so people yep. need to understand Jevin's paradox and and how it's disruptive. Um, uh, a couple of people I really respect were, were dissing efficiency as a type of innovation. And I think right. that Jevons paradox, you know, I was like pounding my, my fist saying, no, efficiency can be incredibly disruptive if you invoke Jevons paradox. But right. that's not a rant. Our rant is, are we monoculturing or are we missing innovation? Because your, your painter analogy, which I really liked, 
is what we're seeing with with cloud right now, where everybody is rushing to use the same palette and the same brush and the same canvas. And they're all showing these these paintings of a tree and they're saying, look how beautiful my tree is. And yes, they're all different. But what if you didn't have to use, you know, what if what if Amazon's actually providing you with crayons, not oil paints, right? What, you know, you're, you're, we're actually restricting innovation because we are giving everybody the same canvas and the same palette yep. and the same tools. And, and what I think we miss is that while Amazon's and, and the other cloud providers, but Amazon even more is incredibly innovative and just, you know, they've done some amazing things at, at some point we're all using the same base components and and that and 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 Amazon is financially incented, and all of their ecosystem is financially incented to do that. Is no, that absolutely. is that am I making sense? No, absolutely. You're absolutely making sense. And um, while I was probably getting a little bit off track from that uh, original rant, uh, I I believe that the forced assumption that what we have is what you need is in and of itself a detractor and a um, a blocker to uh, you know natural innovation opportunities now don't get me wrong i think there's an argument in both ways for your point about efficiency being a potential um generator of innovation is that you know potentially there are opportunities in fact i'm not potentially i would say it's guaranteed that there are opportunities through the efficient use of or acquisition of maybe be the better better term the efficient acquisition of more compute capacity offers in and of itself more opportunities for the buyer of that capacity renter of that capacity to potentially be innovative because they're not spending as much time digging the hole in the ground they're spending more time thinking about what the pool will look like after it's built right and that's and that's great right i, th I think that that's important well, that's, but that's the classic argument to why you know just dive, you know, dive in, use all the services. Don't don't waste your time with this with this messy infrastructure stuff. Right. Um, you know, they, they do it better than you do it. Yep. Um, and that's true. I, the thing that the thing I think of in the pendulum of IT yep. is yep. that's true in in 2019. It was definitely true in 2015. Yep. But is it going to be true in 2020, 2022? And and I think that's the most important part of this conversation, which. Um, you know, as uh, in my long-winded way, I was getting to relative to the relationship with uh, potential innovation and efficiency associated with with um, Amazon. But I see that those those efficiency opportunities will burn out um, from a from a net new standpoint. Um, the opportunities will improve uh, with on-premises environments, and um, and are likely to continue improve where there's less focus on making an extra dollar off every MIP um, and instead more focus on delivering something that provides unique benefit to that particular customer at that particular moment in time. Um, and there are more vendors involved in enabling that for you. I think that that's where future opportunity potentially uh, uh, is likely to birth from. So, so you, you just identified two big, two big pieces. I'm going to interrupt yep. you a little bit. Yep. Right. The fact that there's more vendors means there's more ideas, there's more people trying to make profit, there's more people trying to not sell you what has already been sold, but do something new. That's right. Um, and with these giant clouds, 
it's it's all comes back to Amazon's appetite for cash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, 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 and I don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but but none of these are are charities, right? No, the, and no, and and that's that's the whole point. I um, and I've never actually vocalized this, and I think maybe now is the right time to vocalize it. But um, even in the early days, um, when I did the, with um, uh, Krish and um, uh, Ben Keeps. Uh, did the mm-hmm. Cloud 2020 event um, uh, back in 2012, even way back then, um, before, you know, half the population could spell cloud. Um, I made the argument of the of, of a concern over the potential, you know, duopoly or, or whatever you want to call it, of just having a small handful of cloud providers. And the pushback I got from some people at the time was, was to me, fairly Nirvana-ish, right? It's like, Oh no, they're part of us. We only do stuff that's good for people. We're we're the technology crew. We're, we're somehow because Amazon was a cool technology geek and Google was a cool technology geek, somehow that in the long term of owning some significant portion of the world, they would respond differently than in the past companies like Oracle or or IBM or before that Standard Oil did. Right? Right. Um, and and I don't I don't see it that way. I I don't begrudge a company following a path that's been made available to them uh, through their own innovation or their or tax uh, uh, opportunities or government regulation or whatever it is. I don't begrudge them attempting to make the most of it. But the the basic facts of history would guide us into believing that long term that's never good for the customer. And I don't understand why. Many of us in the technology community somehow think that companies like um, even Microsoft now, which everybody hated ten years ago, um, and Amazon and they Google, were a monopoly controlling the marketplace. That's right. Right, and that somehow we've forgotten, and now they're cool technology companies. Now they have open source associated with them somewhere or whatever it is, and no, they can't hurt us. They won't hurt us. And my my personal opinion, my professional opinion, is that that's BS. So this is I'm actually going to going to leverage us all the way in, because one of the things that we watch these companies do is they try to establish a land grab um, or, or maintain that that high margin thing is everybody seems to be to understand edge is coming. Um, yep. We talk about edge a lot, so I'm not going to define why or how at this point. Let's let's you know, you and I both know and hopefully the audience knows that edge is is this new wave yep. as evidenced by. Amazon announcing Outpost and yep. Google just announcing their hybrid thing. Yep. Um, it, but but are those? I mean, those are not aren't real yet. They're 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 a lot of pre-announcing stuff to cover the market to basically uh, yeah, I, scare away smaller competitors. Is that do you, yep. do you do you think there's more there and 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 that is real or is this behemoths trying to you know? Prepare the ground. Well, both companies have enough money to attempt in a serious way to make it real. Um, you know, Microsoft, sure. you could argue that Azure Stack is real now. Um, but if you had listened to Microsoft, it was real in 2015, right? Um, so it's taken four years for it to get reasonably real uh, from a market adoption standpoint, and yet, um, uh, or, or, or a market acceptance standpoint, but from a market adoption standpoint, it's still very much a, a bit player at this point. Um, 
will Amazon have better luck with something like Outpost? Frankly, um, and I'm not the only one that noticed this. Uh, there were a couple of other people that I talked to after the Amazon event that voiced the same concern. In fact, one of them might have been you, uh, is that this is one of the first times where Amazon has actually gone out of its way to spend a bunch of time and effort talking about something that was still a year away from deployment rather than their traditional process of announcing things that they'd already done. And, right. and I thought that that was surprising. And I, I don't know that I'm smart enough to understand exactly what all that means for the market, but I do find it surprising and um, uh, a, a quite a bit speculative. Um, and potentially uh, as a means to to try and scare other players away from a a f field of opportunity that I know Amazon is extremely interested in, and that's the edge marketplace. So you've been doing research in in the in the most fun possible way. Um, basically by posing questions on LinkedIn and inviting people to give you answers. Um, what are you learning from that perspective? This is, I mean, this is clearly a big thing coming. Yep. Uh, you're, you're trying to sort of, you know, feel through in the dark. What have, what have you learned? What do you, why, why yeah. is it a big thing? Yeah, I've learned quite a bit. I mean, I, um, uh, and to, if, if it's okay for me to pat myself on the back for a second, um, uh, one thing I've learned was that there were more people that buy into my thoughts relative to what the edge marketplace could be rather than um, just as uh, we're a bunch of parts builders and we're rushing to tell you that you should buy one of our parts or invest in me because I'm delivering parts without having a a vision or an understanding of what or how um, all of these parts that might make the future edge a an actual delivered service function appropriately and grow as quickly or as successfully as it could and generate the new business models and opportunities that it probably could. And so that was one finding that I was gratified by. I, I want to make sure I want to make sure I understand that, though. I'm, I'm because because I hear that two different ways. One is, you know, you're you're saying that there is, you know, people do believe they there needs to be an edge marketplace or people think that they're, you know, it's going to have to get banged, you know, we're 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 still in a in the beginnings of the journey and we're going to have to bang it out with a whole bunch of patchwork um attempts. Well, it's it's sort of it's sort of three different things based on that kind of um of of point, right? So, um uh, let me address the two kind of angles that I was uh, attempting to describe. One, of course, is that uh, a, a not insignificant percentage of the people that were responding or, or contributing to me or even asking me to participate in in speaking activities and, and on advisory boards or whatever, uh, buy into the notion that the edge marketplace is something worth targeting and is something that is an, a, a true opportunity space. That being said, there was still a significant portion of the population that was really only thinking about the edge from a perspective of what company they worked for or what they were hoping to get out of the edge because they built something that the edge might use, right? And, and from my perspective, that notion leads us to the potential 
greater problem of the of the point that you just made, which is that we potentially create an environment that is built like a like like an old legacy IT environment. Uh, and to use Ralph Laura, um, the CIO from Lumentum's uh, uh, quote, much more like the Winchester Mystery House, right? Where everybody built something, there's a land rush for the edge and I've built my process for getting there and you've built your process for getting there and, and you've built your process for deploying apps and you've built your process for doing data analytics. And oh, by the way, if you want to approach the entire per, uh, market opportunity, you've got to deploy in 10 different fashions. Right. And you've got to go to 10 different places yeah, to look this at is, it. This is where I'm scratching my head because I, I can see that that is not a scalable model. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, the idea that we're going to have to wait for Amazon to tell us how the edge works um, strikes me as, you know, very, very scary. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's my biggest concern. Right. And I, I don't. um with what I know of the actions of Amazon and, and Microsoft and, and even Google to some degree, uh, and again, I'm not begrudging them this, that I wouldn't probably do no different if I was in their position, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing for all the buyers, but it scares the crap out of me to think that um, we extend the notion of the existing public cloud market to some uh, fragmented, but fragmented in four or five very large pieces um, that are now edge belonging to um, these large cloud players. And now if I want to deploy an app, I've got to have my Android designers and I've got to have my Apple designers and I've got to have my Microsoft designers and I've got to have my AWS designers and my Tencent designers, et cetera, et cetera, in order to get my app to a majority of the community. And, and I am effectively owned by their delivery models uh, their pricing models, their their willingness to to create uh, options or opportunities for different um, compute strategies at the edge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And any one of those five to six major players might never actually have even similar compute models at the edge, let alone having similar APIs for deployment. And I see that as a potential, a real potential risk at, at inhibiting the growth of the market um, you know in ways that were avoided because of uh, you know from an internet perspective those ways were avoided to some degree because of things as simple as standardizing on HTTP and HTML right I, I, I see something similar with the way cell phone systems are, are designed um, yep. where you can move things between the, the exactly. phone systems yeah um, yeah but the way the, the way the market the way the market goes, right? We love these big vendors, um, right. where you know, oh, it's super, you know, oh, I can just code everything to Amazon, and that's going to be my the way I way I want things to go. Um, I guess happily from my perspective with Edge, I I, I actually am I'm much more of a fan of the patchwork Edge mm -hmm. um, because I feel like there's a whole bunch of people with the problem. They're they they they're not they don't want. They're not ready. They're not waiting for somebody to show up and fix it and design yep. something for them. They're like, "Oh, I have the pieces and parts. I can I can just go do it." Right. Um, and so I, you know, I like seeing those those people with applications who are like, "I, I just need to get this done. Um, let me go do it." Um, and 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 they, in a lot of cases, they don't want to give up control. 
right. to Amazon or rely on Amazon as, as part of that or any of the other cloud vendors to be part of this. Why Azure Stack actually is interesting for people because they can buy it, control it, and put it in their own data center um, to the extent that Microsoft lets you do that. That's one of right. the, the downsides of Azure Stack is it's still delegated infrastructure. Microsoft has a lot of control and, and uh, management right. of those units. Right, right. Um, yeah, and this is this is part of our as a service mentality uh, for making all this stuff go. We, you know, this back in the rail, I guess back in the railroad days, the the oil baron days, basically you had a very small number of people who consolidated all that wealth into one. You know, they managed everything, and yep. then ultimately they stopped everything. Right? They, right? they limited it to their once once they had that type of lock in, they could just do it. You know, they could stop everything, everybody else, and they could abuse labor. Yeah, they could avoid they could avoid towns if the towns didn't give them money for building the tracks, uh, or give them land for building tracks through the town. And by avoiding town, they basically turned the town into a um, a ghost town. Um, you know, so there's and there's two different ways, right? The good and bad. There's two different ways to look at the railroad analogy, and one of them is to say, well, they all came up with the same gauge for the tracks, which allowed for you know uh, railroad systems to connect and everything. And and while you could argue that that's an analogy for, you know, more centralization of compute, I don't necessarily see it that way. I see it as an analogy for an opportunity to give people some of the simple, some simplified runway for how they deploy app and apps and how the consumer of those apps can use those apps regardless of where they happen to be. And, OK, you know, maybe maybe Mark doesn't get to define um, you know, what gets commoditized truly and what doesn't, what gets made into a standard and truly and what doesn't. But um, frankly, it scares the crap out of me when somebody from big box or big cloud company A says, well, I think the best thing to do would be to just standardize on our APIs. Yeah, and then own it, which is which is yep. part of the early OpenStack days, right? That was, you know, we were worried that VMware would standardize the API for virtualization, or you know, or Amazon would standardize the hosting stuff, which effectively they've done. Yep. Um, your your analogy on the trains made me think of the Tokyo train system, mm. um, which has a which is multiple small companies, and to get around Tokyo, often you have to exit one train infrastructure and and join a different train infrastructure because they're commercially managed by different companies that. Uh, don't run, you know, a train can't cross. Right, right. Um, and so I, I don't think there's simple answers for these things. Um, no, because, because here, and here's the, here's the deal. I mean, I, and I've talked to some people that are way smarter than I am um, and it got into arguments about um, how, you know, cloud should be like uh, power delivery. And while I appreciate the notion and power delivery in this sense, you could say, well, it's like the standardized ability to deliver a railroad car anywhere in the country or, or, you know, a railroad passenger anywhere in the country in the U.S., you could argue that that benefit mm -hmm. um, is fantastic. And you could, in abstract, argue that because you can plug in 110 anywhere and it works, and because you can use a, a railroad car anywhere in the country on any railroad track outside of Disneyland and it works, um, you know, that's <laughs> great. But we don't, what, for some reason, as, as, as a historical notion, we ignore what it took to get there, what was given up, yeah. what was crushed, literally crushed 
in getting there. And what we've lived with from a monopoly standpoint with railroads, what it, what it costs for some of our um, uh, delivered goods, how some of our most famous and revered investors only buy railroads because they know that they can buy a monopoly environment um, and how power companies are very much the same. And, and if we look at power companies and realize that, that we've been struggling now for the last five to six years, maybe eight years, to get even a small percentage of power companies in North America to open up their doors and allow for innovation in how power is delivered, how power is stored, where it's sourced, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there's been pushback at all levels of government, both from a company perspective, from a local government perspective, from a state government perspective, and even from a federal government perspective. And if that's not an indicator of they screwed us to get to where they are, and now they're screwing us to keep us from changing it, um, then I don't know what else you could use as an indicator of, okay, the analogy sounds great, but what really happens in practice? I, I, I'm just like my head's exploding, right? I'm thinking about how governments scrambled to get HQ2 because of the jobs in you know, Amazon. And, yep. and, and yep. right, that's not a sustainable model for the country. There can only be so, you know, if the bigger they get, you're, you're going to have cities that only have like the behemoths in them and then everything else is a wasteland. Yep. And maybe we're starting to look like that. And then on the, on the other side, you've got this huge inertia pushing everybody into, you know, shared public infrastructure and destroying the idea that I'm going to have my own infrastructure or manage my own infrastructure, that it's too hard or too complex. And instead of, sorry, I'm now I'm yelling, instead of fixing that problem and, you know, it's, it's the same argument you were just making. Instead right. of having solar panels and efficient generators and small grids, which are much more resilient in our yep. neighborhoods. Yep. We're we're moving into we're we're, we're sticking with big generation because the power, political power now is yep. is consolidated there and it's very hard to break it. Um, right, right. And now we're straight back in the rant. Um, but edge, edge yep. might Ed, Stephen, you're gonna break in. I know I am. Edge, edge might, and and this I think, uh, Mark, is edge gonna save us? I I hope that edge. Um, uh, creates an opportunity for um, a number of new voices, you know, and, and frankly, I'd love to be a part of um, helping to lower the barrier to entry. Um, you know, and I, one of the reasons why I love working, you know, if I can put a plug in for you guys, one of the reasons I love working with RackN is because I feel like RackN and products like that uh, are excellent opportunities to help lower the barrier to entry for the little guy to trade stocks, as it were, as another analogy, the same way that the big banks get to trade stocks. Um, and I think that lower barrier to entry is the, the best way for us to create and, and have flower new innovation and new business models at the edge. And be, through that and through the potential volume associated with that to help provide a little bit better balance uh, if not equilibrium, at least a little bit better balance between, um, you know, innovative, um, you know, delivery and platform mechanisms for edge-based applications and, and new customer experiences. Um, uh, and rather than being an adjunct to the public cloud, being an extension of the public cloud, being something that um, in, 
uh, ecosystem-wise participates in the public cloud and vice versa. Um, and I realize that's, again, I'm very idealistic sometimes, and I realize that's all very idealistic, but that's what I'm really hoping from an edge marketplace standpoint, because if, you know, and I'm, I'm obviously not the first one that thought the edge marketplace might be interesting, uh, whether you talk about Peter Levine from, from the VC space saying that edge computing might kill the public cloud, um, which is, a, a, is not a true statement. It's just something close to that that he said and was quoted saying, or Michael Dell saying that the edge could be 100 times what public cloud is. Um, the fact is, is even if it's 10 times what public cloud is, um, that's an amazing opportunity. And I would like to see some significant portion of that stay independent, stay multicultural, uh, you know, stay multicolored, have a rainbow flag, call it whatever you want, but to, to provide better innovation um, and better um, access to markets for companies that aren't just looking for compute, but are actually looking to extend their brand with a unique um, technology delivery mechanism. So I th I think these are great statements, and I think one of the big differences is the telcos kind of looked at cloud and didn't take advantage, and I think this time the telcos see and they understand. And if the telcos can accurately respond, I mean, they right now are the closest for those edge data centers. No one's closer than they are. I think there's an opportunity, and they're pretty big companies themselves, and we need them to um, enter the market. Well, I yeah. Absolutely, Stephen. I mean, I, I think they are positioned. I've been saying that for years, literally years. I've been saying that they're positioned to leverage their bully pulpit, uh, their their existing sunk cost from an infrastructure standpoint, um, the, the idea that they could leverage their network capacity, not as a means to make profit directly, but a means to enable greater opportunity in business on top of their platforms. Um, you know, like the highway system in North America, doesn't directly contribute money to the Federal Reserve uh, or the Federal Reserve of money in the in the federal government, but in fact, the the business opportunities created by the highway system still return a positive return on investment to the federal government. And that's the way the I think the operators need to look at their networks. They also need to learn to deploy in 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 real time, test in real time, and decide whether to roll it out to public or delete it in almost real time the way the cloud guys do because they can't do it in in two and a half or three year windows like they've historically been doing it and and you know if i'm going to give another plug i'd give a plug to something like edge gravity which in my mind is a combination of opportunities for lowering the barrier to entry and providing cross operator um, access for people trying to deploy applications or data and again to me that's a great opportunity to look at how we can lower the barrier to entry for people trying to leverage access at the edge. Yeah, well, I'm working on it every day. So no, I am I there believe it. trying to figure out. Well, to both of you, uh, thanks again. This was a great discussion. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion because I don't think anyone's talking about this yet. And Mark, I think you gave us a good place to start. So uh, we look forward to hearing back from both of you and to our, um, our listeners. If you'd like to respond uh, on a podcast, join us. If you want to add comments, uh, anything like that, we're happy for some more feedback on this. And thanks again to right. both we of do you. Require blood pressure. We, we do require a blood pressure. A blood though, pressure. Sure yeah, no one's allowed to have a heart attack and die during a podcast. I can't right. handle that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Always. Awesome. Thanks, guys.